Welcome into Dragon Ball Super Dope. My name is Kyle. Thank you for checking this out. Very special episode today. Uh, if you are a longtime listener to the show, you've probably heard some other uh, geeky, nerdy properties that I'm a huge fan of. One of them that I've been referencing, especially since quarantine happened, because I managed to find all three seasons of Pete and Pete on DVD. I've been referencing Pete and Pete quite frequently. And oddly enough, uh, about a year ago, I'd reached out to Michael C. Morona, a.k.a. Uh, Big Pete Wrigley on the show Pete and Pete, uh, on Twitter. And we've, you know, been fairly friendly uh, interacting with each other there. But uh, he recently got back and said he'd be happy to do the podcast. So, hey, man, without further ado, uh, I am pleased to welcome Michael C. Morona to Dragon Ball Super Dope. Michael, how are you? How are you doing? All right. Thanks, Kyle. Thanks for having me, man. Thank you for getting back to me. Oddly enough, checking the timestamp on our DMs, I sent you a message that basically had said, working hard for that follow, Mr. Morona. And then almost a year to the day, a couple of days after the year uh, anniversary of that DM, you just randomly got back and said, yeah, I'll do the podcast. Um, anything in particular that had you checking your DMs that day? Just want to clear out my summer DMs for my fall DMs. That makes sense, man. I imagine you have lots of fun uh, DMs coming in and out. Uh, yeah. Thanks. Not fun, actually. Um, fun in the uh, the not fun sense. If you follow um, Michael on Twitter, you'll probably know what I mean. Good job fighting the uh, the war on trolls, brother. I appreciate your efforts. Just not – can't get sucked in and become that which you are uh, fighting, but uh... – yeah. There's always that struggle. Yeah. Thanks. It's tough, man. Toe in the line every day. Can't let it consume me. Um, however, uh, a couple of years ago, I discovered that uh, you and Danny Tamborelli have a podcast called The Adventures of Danny and Mike. Um, growing up as a big Pete and Pete fan, I was elated to hear that you guys are, you know, not only still friendly, but still making content together. Um, so obviously I dove deep into the catalog and you're a pretty interesting dude. You have a lot of interesting, um, uh, interest. You're very kind. Thank you. Danny and I have made a couple of, um, appearances at uh, comic book conventions in the last few years. And so I have been able to expose him to more, uh, Dragon Ball Z content. He was also a comic book, uh, head when he was younger. So we're sort of, uh, cross, uh, pollinating each other how is there a big age difference between the two of you i'm four years older than him just like i think is on the show in the show there you go there you go um that's pretty interesting to me so you know you have these various things that you'll you know talk about dive into every once in a while one of them is like 90s hip-hop and r&b which i i always appreciate whenever you bring up and just drop a verse on something i don't expect you to know but you also reference dragon ball pretty i don't know frequently is the right word but every once in a while you'll just dip into a diatribe about piccolo um so knowing that about you when i first learned that coming across those things in the catalog i thought to myself this would be a perfect person to get on super dope just to i'm interested to hear the story of how you even became a dragon ball fan in the first place um but before we do, you know, the general like conversation about Dragon Ball, whatever it is, your uh, commitment to the fandom, however you want to word it. 
I do have like these general warm-up kind of questions that I like to do with everybody that I interview just to sort of like get to know you and take the temperature in, in terms of uh, your Dragon Ball fandom. So do you want to run through those real quick? Go right ahead. If it means uh, uh, proving myself. It's not so much proving yourself. It's it's more just like, uh, I want to know where we stand. Are you like a, a Super Subs fan, a Super Dubs fan? Um, you know, which is your favorite series? Things like that. Just to kind of, you know, know where your headspace is when it comes to approaching a series that spans over 30 years at this point. Sure. Um, I uh, probably the first uh, time slot that I was introduced to Dragon Ball Z was in the afternoon television in the the context of uh, pre or post Jerry Springer um, in the late 90s. So probably so I watched a uh, UPN like localized stuff before it went to the Cartoon Network, probably. Yes. And then um, and then also Cartoon Network, as I guess my college roommates had cable or something like that. Got it. Got it. So So that was a a dubbed, uh, obviously. So, all right. So I understand in like, um, I guess how you first found it. Let's run through these warm up questions first. Who is your favorite character in all of Dragon Ball? I know I'm, uh, it's probably Krillin. Okay. I know I'm supposed to have thought about these beforehand, but it's just going to go off the dome here. So. No, I appreciate the uh, the the gut reaction in terms of your answers. Any reason though why we're going with Krillin? I mean, there's got to be some kind of reasoning behind that uh that gut instinct. I think it's because that was the first like image of Dragon Ball Z that I had. So some of the early stuff you saw in terms of the yeah. dub featured a lot of Krillin. I had, um, no, just like I had watched Kung Fu movies when I was younger and my same uncles who got me into comic books and Kung Fu movies and stuff like that were also familiar with animation from Japan. Uh, just that like, that stylized, uh, you know, monk with, Krillin's character was the first like Dragon Ball Z image that I be- remember being aware of when I was younger. Got it. Uh, who would you say is your favorite villain from Dragon Ball? Uh, I would say after doing a little bit of watching um the one who really likes snacks, Majin Buu. Who's the one? Uh, no, or do you the, mean, yeah. or do you mean Beerus the purple cat? Yeah, Beerus's uh, assistant who's always snacking. Weiss, yeah, the angel. Attended. Oh yeah, Weiss. But Weiss is like not even a bad guy, but he's he's he's, he's you know he works for a bad guy. It's tough, you know what I mean? Like you, you kind of where where do you start? Stop handing out responsibility. But his um. His like penchant for snacks is uh, enough to keep me going. Got it. Interesting character too. I and mean, like you said, he's got to keep a real bad dude in check. However, he himself is a pretty bad dude. He just prefers not to always show that. Exactly. So it's like which is worse? So the one stabbing you in the front or the one stabbing you in the back? Yeah, I mean, here's the thing with those two characters in particular, though, is that. They really are like the ultimate trump card in all of Dragon Ball right now. 
Um, I'm saying how power how powerful they are. It's ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, if, the thing is with Dragon Ball stories in the last whatever five years since they've come back to a regular series is that they have elevated their power scales to a point where it gets so GD ridiculous. They have no well, sure. Majin, Majin Buu was also you know very scary at the time. Yeah, and they had a similar sort of. Um, you know, power scaling sort of, you know, redo within that series as well. Probably not thinking that in 25 years they would have to bring the series back and essentially reset things to a point where it's interesting again. Every arc in Dragon Ball Super, it's like, oh, this is it's gotten a little too fucked. We have to bring in the gods to hit the reset button on this. It's uh, it's a little frustrating, but hey. They're run- you think they're running into a Marvel Comics um, situation as far as the stakes? Um, I think they've written themselves into a corner a little bit for sure. And I think that it's sort of by design. Um, I think the end, basically this whole Dragon Ball Super thing is meant to take place between the end of the Majin Buu saga and the last four episodes of Dragon Ball Z, right? Uh, everything that they've told in Dragon Ball Super, 131 episodes, 63 plus manga, or 63 manga chapters now. Um, it's all confined to that super, you know, small space and time. So there's not much they can do to like, really make it interesting because we ultimately know on the other side of it everything's fine because we've all seen who the lives who dies, right we already know who lives and dies that's the thing um that said what would you say is your favorite arc within dragon ball z or dragon ball in general i won't say i won't well i got to just yeah to i have it. i have the cell saga as my background so i think that that's it's probably that part you and i agree on that okay easy um which of the dragon ball series would you say is your favorite I, I enjoyed this part of uh, you know Gohan going from a l- little boy to a man, <laughs> from going to uh, an eleven-year-old to a twelve-year-old. It's amazing. Feels like it uh, takes a day, but before you know it, a year has passed. What? Yeah, the the, hy- the hyperbolic time chamber as a concept, of course. You know, I, I have a young kid, so this is this is a poignant um, idea for me. Totally. Would you take your boy into the uh, the hyperbolic time chamber to train for a year? Depends on what we would train at. You know what I mean? Like, I'm enjoying kicking the soccer ball around with him right now, and he really likes digging in the dirt and stuff like that, going to sandbox. See, no, none of that little kid shit. We're training to be able to save the world from a uh, yeah, genetically that's what modified I mean. I, he's android. not ready. He's not ready for instant transmission. So. All right. Well, we'll give him a few more years. We'll check back in. We'll see what how he's feeling right. at that point. Um, but well, yeah, it's it's a great concept of that uh, that chamber. And yeah, practicing. Sure. Yeah, just uh, spending some quality time together all at once. <laughs> what is I have I imagine what your answer will be now? But uh, what is your favorite fight from Dragon Ball? Oh, which one do you think it is? I'm gonna guess it's Gohan and Cell. It's a fun, it's a fun fight. Yeah, you like to see the kid holding his arm and fighting the fighting the bad guy. He's very mean. Um, also, uh, Android sixteen. Any Android sixteen fight was another good um, sort of vision into uh, the whole part of the saga. They actually just had a nice little Android sixteen callback um, in this most recent manga chapter this month um a fight and a sure i've had 
I, I've had a mohawk once, so that's the character that I most closely identify yeah, with. Yeah, man, you've had some real interesting hairstyles over the years. I thought about not bringing it up, but um, I, I don't know, the, the long ponytail braids, those might have been my favorite. Um, what was going on then? Anything in particular? Just didn't cut my hair for a while. I haven't cut it for a while now uh, since the uh, this whole pandemic started. I needed a haircut before then, so I had been keeping it pretty short. Then I just let it grow up. Gotcha. I actually uh, don't have that luxury and um, was like buzzing it at best and then uh, screwed up shaving one day and then I ended up with the shaved head like a half hour later. You're starting to, you bick, now you bick it. Now I have to bick it, yeah. Okay. I, like went a little too far up with the sideburns, whatever. And I was like, well, you look completely stupid. You have to take it all off now. I have, um, I have encountered that when I'm cutting my own you know making my own adjustments to my sideburns sort of snooping back and forth between them before you know what they're gone but at least you've got some long hair on the top to be able to cover that stuff up yes <laughs> i got that going for me um all right so favorite fight gohan cell uh what is your favorite opening song for dragon ball uh, i didn't differentiate too much given the uh the dubs that I watched, the different programs. I, I, I've seen it in the afternoon um, UPN exactly type of format and then also in a Saturday morning tsunami type of format. So I'm going to fill in your answer for you and I'm going to fill in Rock the Dragon. It goes like this. Dragon, Dragon, Rock the Dragon, Dragon Ball Z. So that's the one you're going with, man. Oh, yes. I remember that one now. Uh, the other one. Oh, damn Not it. that one. <laughs> the, the one that didn't have those words. Yeah. Yeah. I recall the one that you, because you did, you did relate it pretty well. Yeah. I mean, it's all about the rhythm. It's all about that rhythm. Uh, so closing song, probably feel the same way, you know, kind of comes and goes with the, whatever version of the series you were watching. The dub had a lot of um, live orchestra, and I heard that the uh, narrator passed away recently. So um, you might be thinking of the Spanish narrator who died within the last couple of years. I do know that when Dragon Ball Super came back, the Japanese narrator uh, was replaced by somebody else in the cast. But the American narrator, uh -huh. most of my memory of that, I think is Kyle Hebert. I think that's how you say his name. Uh, he is the dude who does Gohan's adult voice. Um, he's been the narrator for forever. Um, is that who, Are you thinking of an American narrator or are you thinking of a Japanese narrator? I'm trying to remember where I read it now, and I think it was an American one. Either way, it's not a big deal. Um, uh, no, death is important, you know. It's a big, it impacts us all differently, obviously. Yeah, I guess I shouldn't talk shit about um, people who we don't even know who we're talking about. They're dead, big deal, who cares? I'm a really, we, um, I'm a really sentimental you know, in the, person. In the previous time, we, we did meet uh, Sean Shemmel at one of the, uh, one or two of the uh, conventions, so that was a, that was neat to get in the, get in the room with some, some voices we were familiar with. What was your experience with Shemmel? Do you remember? It seemed like a nice guy. Uh, we didn't, I don't know if we ever did uh, too much of a panel together. The conflict of scheduling is pretty notorious in those things. Um, 
but I just remember, you know, seeing him around the conventions and him being easy to talk to. Yeah, he's a pretty approachable guy for sure. He'll bust your balls, uh, especially if you've got a beer in your hand, as uh, my experience was with Sean Shemmel. But I imagine if I wasn't me, it would have been a very pleasant experience. Um, if it what if it wasn't you? Yeah, if it wasn't me. You discriminating against bald guys? It wasn't. I wasn't even bald at the time. I think it was just the beer. He's like, "What's up, drunky?" I'm like, "I'm not even that drunk. I'm the only guy in your line. Be nice to me." He talked to me for like 15 minutes, but like, you know, the slight punch downs, the slight ones. Um, now that I've kind of taken the temperature in terms of the Dragon Ball fandom, whatever it is, I'm kind of wanting to dive in a little bit further to. You know, first, how you found Dragon Ball. I know that you talked about it a little bit earlier, but what was it about Dragon Ball that sort of resonated with you? I ask because you're a pretty smart dude. Um, I, I hear you talk. You're definitely um, telling jokes way over most people's heads most of the time. Dragon Ball is Whoa. notoriously Whoa. like a dumb series, dude. So what is it about Dragon Ball that resonated with you back when you first found it? I think it lucked into being on after Springer. <laughs> um, <clears throat> it was just uh, a way of bonding with uh, an old college roommate, probably watching that show and uh, just sort of relating to people through uh, fictional characters. Got it. Which I might, which I might know a little bit about. I feel like you would. Yeah. Um, you are, you know, the, the de facto narrator in my head, having been the narrator for Pete and Pete. Um, Pete and Pete's one of those things. Like, I think I liked Pete and Pete before I liked Dragon Ball, which is kind of tough for me to be able to say definitively because I found both of those things. Um, it's really a chicken or egg thing. I just found them so early in my life. Uh, you know, being a kid of the early nineties and, you know, seeing uh, the same, probably the same broadcast to Dragon Ball you did uh, before it made its way over to Toonami when I was like six or seven years old. Um, you know, it was broadcast like really early in the morning, like six, seven o'clock in the morning. So um, being too young to know how to set an alarm clock <laughs> was the thing at that point. I was just trying to wake up early enough to check the TV and see if it was on. Um, Pete and Pete was one of those shows, too, where I didn't have to wake up super early, but... I didn't know exactly when it was on. I don't know if that was because of the poor scheduling at Nickelodeon back in the day, but uh, when it was on, it was a thing that I just plopped myself in front of the TV, and you know that's the only thing I would uh, be focused on for the next twenty-two minutes, whatever. Okay. Um, now, do you watch any other anime at this point, or have you watched any other anime in the past? I mean, I'm not sure if you're somebody who keeps up on any kind of current series or anything. In the vein of uh, Saturday morning programming, I did watch some uh, Yu-Gi-Oh! 5Ds, which was, I couldn't I couldn't really get into Yu-Gi-Oh! that much. Um, it was, you know, something that was also promoted on American TV a lot, and, all, you know, also something I was aware of that way. I recently learned that the Yu-Gi-Oh! that we got here in America is like the second version of Yu-Gi-Oh! And which is, you know, way more focused on the marketing and selling of cards to the kids and all that. The toy commercial aspects like uh, Transformers. Or like Dragon Ball, you know? Um, but with Yu-Gi-Oh! I guess there was a series before that where the card playing... It's a series I never watched, so I can't speak, you know, knowledgeably to it. But 
it's uh, the cards, the card playing aspect and the, the dueling is still there, but I guess it's just like really dark and a lot of people like murdering each other and lots of backstabby stuff. And I had to dumb it down for the kids so they could sell the cards, I guess, a couple of years later. I would be interested in checking out that first version of the series, though, for sure. It seems the um, the anime that you get these days is more explicit. I mean, it's not like we're not here talking about uh, a show where guys throw, you know, tons of planet-destroying power at each other in a means to prove supremacy. But the it seems more explicit. The stuff that's released now is about being like the boss of assassin school <laughs> or the, you know, the, the best in a superhero school. Uh, have you ever watched my hero academia? I've seen, um, a little bit of, uh, no, I haven't watched any of my hero academia. Dude, you're missing out. And this but is people talk about it. And I, when I see people at the, um, conventions and ask them what they're dressed as, Typically, they'll explain a bit. So they explained a little bit of My Hero Academia was very popular a couple of years ago and uh, Death Eaters as well, uh, a couple of different. So My Hero Academia, I know it's, I don't know. I've become a little bit of a fanboy of it, but I'm one of those people where I'll try to watch a new anime every once in a while. And, you know, I recognize like uh, it's okay, you know, for whatever reason, it doesn't pull me in. And uh, My Hero was one of those things where one of my best friends had to harass me, you know, for about a year to watch it. I finally did. The characters pulled me right in. It's kind of like the Japanese take on American superheroes. And uh, it's that that idea is very much encapsulated by um, the character of All Might, who is basically the Japanese Superman uh if you don't listen to Jap, uh, if you haven't listened to Dragon Ball Super Dope for a long time, we did an episode on it last year. Goku, All Might, Japanese Superman, or just regular Superman, and the comparisons between the three characters and how they're all kind of the same, but how they're all also not the same. He's a really interesting character. Um, it's just kind of a commentary on the, on the American superhero aspect part of it, but it it kind of does this cool thing where it takes different. Um, ideas from other IPs and, and kind of mashes them together into one. So you got the superhero stuff. Uh, you've got the, um, but the, enough, enough different to be plausibly, uh, not a ripoff. It's, I mean, you could probably say that it's a ripoff of this thing, but it's with superheroes instead of this other thing. But, um, it reminds me a lot of the X-Men. It reminds me a lot of, um, not quite power Rangers stuff, but like the team, um, you know, themes that Power Rangers and those shows try to, um, you know, deliver to its audience. Uh, it's all about like the greater good as opposed to one individual hero or something. It's a, it's an interesting show, man. You should check it out. It's well done. And, uh, I think you'd like it. Is that not what, um, is that what, what not what Goku is uh, promoting? No, no, especially not in the last five to seven years, man. No, go ahead. The last five to seven years have been called, uh, the Goku and Vegeta show. And uh, it's kind of obnoxious, man. Don't get me wrong. I'm a huge fan of both of those characters. Uh, but Dragon Ball Super has basically been, it gets back to what I said before. Um, the power scaling aspect of Dragon Ball Z got so ridiculous to the point where they brought in a character like Majin Buu 
and brought in magic. And that was their excuse to be like, all right, this is why, you know, they're fighting these planet destroying Saiyans now. Let's uncork them, in other words. Yeah. So with Dragon Ball Super coming back and power scaling have been such a concern, two of the only characters who make sense to have in the plot anymore are Goku and Vegeta. And Vegeta, it's I think he's only there because, you know, obviously he's a fun character, but it's like, what is it going to be? Just a 100% Goku all of the time? I think Dragon Ball would benefit from bringing in more of the collective and more of the group. Um, that's what it's been lacking for a long time. Superman did bring in... Uh... Those other Kryptonians, General Zod and the like. Plus, you know, what's that other band he was in? The fucking Justice League? Come on. Everybody has their role on a team. I don't care if not everybody can destroy a planet at will. Everybody has a role. The most recant manga arc, because there's... Did she just come around about realizing that sometimes it's... Um... Not about him. Sometimes there's a benefit. Exactly. Sometimes there is a benefit to uh, to stepping aside. Is yeah. that the case? They they do a nice yeah. they do a nice job of that at the end of the Boo arc, where he essentially, uh, you know, he tries to guilt people into contributing to the spirit bomb for Goku to beat Boo. Then he puts Mister Satan through, and then he has his whole little internal monologue about how it's okay, Kakarato, you're the best now. I don't mind. You're number one. And then Dragon Ball Super happens, and they kind of have to walk a little bit of that development back and just have him be an angry dude. Trying so it still to needs Goku. to be an angry competition between them. He can't, he can't have permanently seated that status. Exactly. Also, at the end of Dragon Ball Z, now that I'm thinking about it, like the first thing that Goku, Vegeta, and Bulma all say to each other is like, hey, what's up, asshole? I haven't seen you in about three to five years. It's been forever. The entirety of Dragon Red Ball Cup. Super, they've just been hanging out. So they're retconning that, is what you're saying. See, they are and they aren't. In my brain, yes, they very obviously are retconning that. However, they won't take the one step further and say, hey, we retcon this. It's now okay to move beyond this period in time, which I think is the only logical place for the show to go, which kind of brings me to my next question. Have you been keeping up or have you kept up with all of Dragon Ball Super? Have you watched the whole series? or? No, I I don't have a subscription to any uh, services and also i've have noted that you know several feature films have come out in the time that i watched but didn't sort of i didn't keep up with those either about how they applied to the continuity i just was happy to stay in my arcs and you know watch trunks grow up a little bit and yada yada yeah I, I, trunks is probably my favorite character uh, future trunks specifically sure um, Although, you know, it is cool to see little kid Trunks again be like, oh. Well, when he picks up the Z-Sword, you, you know, you, you're definitely down. Yeah. You're like, oh, shit. And the, uh, movie 13, yeah, with the with the monsters and all that. Harutagarn, you see that one? So, Dragon Ball Z movie 13 is the story of how... The story, quote-unquote. It's a non-canon story, so it doesn't really make sense in terms of the timeline. But okay. they, they try to, like, tell the story of how future Trunks, essentially gets his sword and it's little kid trunks and like the time of the boo arc and gohan's an adult and goten's there and uh the whole story is like this mystical warrior is released from a magic box and within him is one half of this giant godzilla sized demon and his brother uh held the other half they were put in two separate like magical music boxes on the other ends of the universe 
His brother died. One half of the monster's out. Now that he's out, the other half of the monster's going to get out. A big monsters versus Dragon Ball Z movie ensues. And it's really fun. Does the Kai not, like, detect this and rush to go help out? No, not really. I don't... uh, Come to think of it. What do I give you those powers for? They don't... I don't think they um, know how to use them all the time. Or There's always, like, that that sense of indifference when it comes to the gods in Dragon Ball. Like, sometimes they're like, what the hell? We can't let that happen. And other times they're like, yeah, you know, we can't really get involved. And there seems to be no rhyme or reason as to, you know, which ones they'll, you know, fall on uh, in terms of the category. It's it's frustrating. Um, for that movie, though, nope. Godzilla-sized monster just smashing West City and Super Saiyan 3 Goku, Dragon Fist's historics. It's a scene. You should see it. Sounds me- it sounds mean. It's meaty. Okay. So, um... I know I had other questions. So you're not into Dragon Ball Super. I do have a couple other questions for you. Um, when the time is right. So you have a son. I listen to the podcast. I gauge he's around two, three years old. Is that right? Yeah, he'll be four later this year. When the time is right. Uh, I don't know what a parent it would dep- make that. It assumption. depends. You know what I mean? Like I could go into the hyperbolic time chamber with him and watch every episode ever in one day. Yeah. That would actually be a really efficient way to spend time in the hyperbolic time In the time hyperbolic chamber. time chamber. Good think of Michael C. Moroni. Possi- possibly the best use of the hyperbolic time chamber. When the time is right, do you plan to watch Dragon Ball with him or, or show it to him and see if he likes it or not? I'm, I'll give it a shot. I don't know that. Um, I don't know that it will apply so much to his life. I mean, whose fucking life would it apply to? But um, just that I just that I approached it as a young adult first in in the late nineties, and now watching it again, you know, in the other iteration, like a Saturday morning iteration or something like that, sort of seeing what their uh, what their message is, but also acknowledging that it's just a limited amount of the show and not keeping up with the entirety of it, like. like how it exists as a serial melodrama. So, you know what I mean? Like a soap. Yeah. And that's exactly, you know, what I didn't realize, uh, what kept me so you know invested in it when I was a kid was, oh shit, you know, what is going to happen on the next episode of Dragon Ball Z? Is this planet finally going to explode or not? Um, I found it. That actually, became stressful. Yeah. Well, it also just became annoying too. <laughs> like, what do you mean? You said the same thing last week. I thought five minutes was up five months ago. Having found Dragon Ball through, having found Dragon Ball through, um, you know, sort of irregular means, I guess, through like, you know, those UPN, that was what the local affiliate was here in uh, the Rhode Island, Massachusetts area. Um, you know, UPN didn't show it regularly. There wasn't a set time. When it moved to Toonami, you were actually able to schedule your time and, and watch it in between those two things though my dad and my uncle um found dragon ball bootleg subs from japan so they started bringing those back my uncle uh julius it's very thoughtful of them yeah they started bringing back uh these these bootleg tapes from uh from new york city my uncle julius was living there at the time so he'd come back visit us on the weekends uh usually once every other month and we would just binge watch these dragon ball tapes 
Sure. Because the uh, individual episodes are not really enough to satisfy. It's kind of like intentionally giving you no, you need a to, snack. You need to watch them in blocks, man. Four to eight there at a time. <laughs> um, so having found it like that, it was kind of, I don't know, again, kind of frustrating. You'd see this stuff on TV where it's like, man, I'm beyond this. I've already seen, you know, what the androids and cell are like, and I'm still stuck on planet Namek. Um, but I say all of that to be able to let you know, you are like weirdly smack dab in the middle um, of my, the age difference between me and my dad. So that's kind of why I wanted to ask the question because I feel like my dad probably tried to get me into this stuff. Sure, um, I don't. A little I don't too know that young, he would get like. You know? I, I I don't know that he would get like Kami and Piccolo, you know, fusing. And I think some of this stuff is a bit too violent for him right now. So let's say we're at age like eight or nine. Maybe you're considering it then, or is it more like closer to 12 or 13? Well, sure. But, you know, kind of depends on what he's into, you know, whether I would say, oh, now's the time to deploy the Dragon Ball Z. Is Dragon Ball Z not one of those things that you're going to force on your children in life? Do people like that exist in real life? I don't know. No, I'm saying like I have fandoms. It's not, you know, it's not like my son doesn't know to root for my soccer team without knowing a thing about it. But we are, you know, we do kick the soccer ball around as well. So we have that uh, connection to the real world as opposed to like, you know, put punching each other through mountains. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's probably a much uh, safer hobby to have with your son kicking the ball around. Yeah, and, you, fan, you know, you can introduce your family to your fandom through your physical collections of you know paraphernalia and stuff like that if you have if fans have statues and figurines of things and posters and stuff besides the original media obviously it's another entry point um people often laugh at the um sort of the oversized rayon Dragon Ball Z button down shirts that were that were hot for a while, which should always, you know, come back or be like a big indicator in a movie of some kind of character that's gonna do something. <laughs> like what? Either be the hero or like it's a side a it's a side mission in a, it's a side mission in a uh, in a video game for sure. Oh man, those shirts were so obnoxious. But um listeners of the show On the other hand on the other hand, Super Saiyan Goku yeah, I mean, right there, prominently displayed on my chest and down <laughs> through the rest of my torso. Yeah. No. It's just like he stayed like that the whole day, the whole time you wore the shirt. He never, ever calmed down. Carlton. Uh, I know you don't know Carlton, Michael. Uh, he's one of my best friends that I, uh, he's been on the show a bunch. Everyone knows him. He loved those big, ugly shirts back in the day. Just wanted to let everybody know. Um, we'll, rip, we'll rip one up for Carlton later. Pull we'll one sh out. Shred, we'll shred a shirt for Carlton. Shred one up for him. So I asked the Dragon Ball question, when you may consider showing uh, Dragon Ball to your son. I would be remiss if I didn't ask you any questions about Pete and Pete. I haven't been such a fan growing up. So this is my uh, pivot question in the interview. Are you I ready? don't think I've watched it too much with... I don't think I've watched Pete and Pete too much of my son. I was going to say a couple of episodes. You've watched it with him already. That's cool. Watch a couple episodes, maybe the Halloween episode, which in itself is a little bit 
but he doesn't really have the attention span to sit down yet for does he register that it's young you on the tv screen yeah yeah he did notice that what's the reaction i've like, so, no, freak out? Well, i've only sh- i don't think i showed him halloween to be honest i think it was more 60 second ones so those you know those have enough action in them to keep him sort of going got it some of the short stuff um i was trying so i you know i'll just do it now these are my questions um i do have a pete and pete dvd here with all i think it says 40 two episodes which i know isn't the right number okay maybe um, it's a crossover with uh hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy oh gotcha um so i was trying to figure out what it was the other day that got me to 42 episodes and thought that maybe uh shout out to my friend lance missed air fusion he's a big fan of yours and pete and pete as well uh he and i were um Thanks, Fusey. Yeah, Mr. Fusion is uh if you need like uh some really, you know, in-depth um nerdy Dragon Ball content if you want to get back into the the uh the hobby uh, in depth and get some good analysis of it, he's the person you you should go to uh, and check out his YouTube channel. Um he and I the other day were talking about why I have 42 episodes and I was trying to figure out why I like got out a spreadsheet and listed them all um I thought maybe I had some. some are there some unauthorized cuts or something? There are some shorts. I guess there was like the first six shorts that were kind of elongated into full episodes and kind of placed, I think, either in the middle of season one or toward the end of season one. So those are kind of like sporadically in here. I thought I had the shorts. I didn't. I went on eBay last night and I found uh, three of the shorts on a vintage VHS SNCC volume two that i bought for twenty dollars i don't know i just so someone painstakingly combined these no it's it's like an actual released nickelodeon vhs tape it, it, it the shorts are in between full episodes of i think it's like roundhouse nick arcade hey uh-huh. dude stuff like that and the p and p shorts are in between each of the episodes so um, I'll get that on September 9th and I'm excited to take a look at those shorts. <laughs> Compare them to uh, before and after. Yeah. Um, so what would you say is your favorite episode of Pete and Pete? Tough I know uh, <laughs> I know I had these questions in advance. And I no, it's okay. And should I, have thought about it. No, I mean, off the dome, though. That's what we're doing today. Maybe your answer has differed. I also imagine these questions that I'm asking you for Pete and Pete, I imagine they're things that you've referenced on the Adventures of Danny and Mike, your podcast, so make sure that you go check them out on the Last Podcast Network. It's a fun listen. I have a blast, even with the minisodes every week, even though they're only 30 minutes long and I feel a little gypped. Jeremy. Sorry. <laughs> Some Jeremy-related content. Uh, a good um, Dragon Ball Z-related episode, maybe, is the very first one, what we did on our summer vacation. Okay, that's the beach episode, right? Yeah. Yeah, being amazed at uh, at Dad's power to... Um, to find a uh, an entire car buried underground. Excellent choice. Uh, there are the ones that I watched most recently were "Goodbye, My Little Vikings" Part One and Two, 
Um, the character of Artie has always been very heavy. Uh, it's that's a heavy episode, but like it's a heavy episode with the most ridiculous character that you'll ever see in the series. So there's like a special sort of um, you're talking about paper cut. <laughs> yeah, paper cut being the most ridiculous, or McFlemp, or McFlemp. No, I mean they're all. Let's be real; it's a very surreal television show. But Artie, in general, is the most. Oh, you ridiculous. think Artie? You think Artie's the yeah. real? Yeah, okay. I mean, there's always going to be those ridiculous villains to be able to be the foil to Lil Pete or or Artie. But Artie is like the staple of surrealism in that show. So to see him have such heavy moments and trying to, you know, say goodbye to Pete and his character. Yeah, it's tough to address a uh, you know a person who exists in that way, having to grow up and a very having to confront you know his his ward, uh, sort of growing up as well, which we watched happen during the show. And that last line, he's like, you know, there's another kid out there. He's puny. Uh huh. Like you. Like you were when I found you. God, gets me yeah. every time. Um, who would you say is your favorite recurring character within Pete and Pete? And by recurring, I guess I would probably say anybody with less screen time than Artie. Damian Young's character, uh, bus driver Stu. Oh my God. We picked the same guy. <laughs> I didn't know his name, but I bus driver Stu's the guy, uh, images. Damian, Damian Young's a, very good, uh, talented actor. I have images burned into my brain of you in a bus driver's uniform ironing your... I think of it every time I have to iron something. You're ironing your clothes as you're standing up. What a weird episode. It's good I didn't do the you know the gag of ironing it while you're wearing it because too many people injure themselves like that each year. Oh, yeah. I bet you I thought about it because of you. That does not uh, equate to liability, sir, and you can. It's not actionable in court. Plus, I didn't actually burn myself, so you know this is a happy ending all around. I would say there's no injury and therefore no standing to sue, Your Honor. You I would go. move to dismiss. Bus driver Stu also had that complicated relationship with a woman. Was she also a bus driver, or am I confusing them with the Sally Knorp? Yeah. All right, so they did. A, yeah, they had like a very. Um, tumultuous relationship i feel like i had they were both they were both bus drivers i feel like maybe is that the thing that i heard a little bit too much for a kid show back in the early 90s was a little um uh, what's the word i'm looking for Uh, adult for a 90s show but like over the heads of most censors i feel like pete and pete did a good job at some of those jokes sometimes yeah i'm not sure how much um Pete and Pete really did have to deal with censorship. I think most of our stuff was sort of uh, too smart for them to uh, assign too much controversy to. Um, yeah. What would you attribute? What would you attribute the smartness of Pete and Pete to? Anything in particular? It was the creator Will McRob. Was it like a collective attempt on things? Uh, I mean, was it the creative freedom that they gave you back then? It sounds like it was a pretty unstructured sure. thing. Co-creators, uh, Will McRobb and Chris Biscardi and uh, original director Catherine Diekman really um, really helped to shape the piece. But we also had some really great production people back then, each uh, both independent and, and through Nickelodeon uh, who didn't uh, try to step on it too much and kind of let it stay weird. It, even though we are talking about um, 
very inspirational character who wears pajamas forced to leave because he grew up. So because little Pete grew up, not because Artie grew up. No, exactly. Um, imagine that show continuing to go on like twice as long as it did instead of three seasons, six seasons, some of the adventures that little Pete would have gone into eventually. Sure. That's, uh, you know, tough to say exactly, but people could be, uh, in high school and middle school for a, a long time as far as having different dramas for Pete, little Pete and Ellen and then Nona and Artie. And if he chose to come, you know, maybe already came back for college, who knows? Um, there, there's definitely uh, possibilities, but also the ones, the episodes that we did make are each a really specific pictures of a piece of time so that was one of the things i definitely always appreciated about the show was no matter who was carrying the a or the b plot whether it be you or danny tamborelli um it was always an interesting plot but yours were always much more grounded like in actual reality and you know the more you know relationship driven stuff as where danny tamborelli was also uh, always off to some huge enormous spectacle um, and I think it kind of worked well in that. Yeah, his character it was a kid with a, with a tattoo. So it, it kind of, there's only so many, you know, you kind of have to up the stakes from there. Yeah. Uh, I watched the one recently where he first uh, meets uh, Nona F. Mecklenburg when he's uh, tunneling out because he's grounded for that one time he gets grounded. Um, I, I actually met Michelle Trachtenberg at a convention not this past year, but the year previous. The, the Buffy fandom is legendary. Yeah, we're a fun bunch. I'm a big Buffy fan as well. So having Nona jump over to be Dawn Summers was uh, pretty weird for me. I was also a big Harriet the Spy fan too. So when I met her at a convention, um, I was most excited, I guess, about Pete and Pete because I walked up to her and said, oh my sure. God, I'm meeting Nona F. Mecklenburg. Right. And she gave me the dirtiest fucking look, man. <laughs> she was not happy to have me associate her with Pete and Pete first and foremost off the bat, I think. It kind of depends on what, uh, you know, what the context is when you're meeting someone, if they were promoting something else or. Or if I was, you know, a little too drunk and waited in line for 45 minutes. Oh, is um, this what is this what Sean Schemmel was saying? Uh, was seeing the difference is though i didn't wait in shemmel's line for 45 minutes he didn't have a line i was the only guy there um meeting her though was pretty fun however i did learn afterwards that it was her first ever comic book convention so um sure. that could be um a tough first experience for anybody so it was it was big for me i'm you know guessing it would be big for anybody else but it really depends on again we you know where it is and when and I'm, so many other things going on in your life at the time. Have you guys been to the Rhode Island Comic Con? I don't think we have. I don't think you have either. I've th I've been every year except one, and I feel like if you we guys did, were uh, there, I would have freaked out. I think we did uh, Connecticon, which was in uh, Hartford. Hmm. I think. Well, um, you're gonna have to come do Rhode Island Comic Con. And we have whenever and we have worked in, over. outside of Boston as well, so you smack dab in the middle. We'll yeah. have to find a we'll have to find a way. Those uh those exclusivity deals do have some radii to them though. Oh, I didn't realize that's a thing that you have to take into consideration. Sure. Hmm. I think it's like I think it's like touring uh musicians as far as uh if you play a place and 
then a, a certain cancellation distance within that for a certain amount of time. Hmm. Fun stuff for the business. With the Pete and Pete stuff, though, the last thing that, uh, or the last two things, one of these questions accidentally somehow did not make it to you, or I skipped it. Actually, I skipped it. Uh, one of my favorite pieces of Pete and Pete is the music of the show, specifically from the band uh, Polaris, who is actually the band Miracle Legion, Sans One guitar player. Um, mm-hmm. They weren't the only band that contributed music to the show, but they're like, you know, the unofficial house band, I'd say. They, they Several songs throughout the series. What would you say is your favorite song, whether it be from Polaris or otherwise, that was used in the series of Pete and Pete? Apart from Polaris or by Polaris? It I'm could sorry. be either or. Um, I didn't want to limit you to just the Polaris category. Oh, there's so much good music in there. Um, I, I'm sorry, we had... Uh, Juliana Hatfield appear um, in the first uh, season of Beat and Pete, but didn't um, get any of her music in the show. We did use a lot of great music, and I would say probably from the lifeguard, excuse me, what we did on our summer vacation um, originally had some stigmata in it by. Uh, It was, there's some hard rock and music in the originals and which uh, was removed by the time we got to series production that went on that for sale on the DVDs or was shown on the uh, network TV. But oh, when wow. it was a special, yeah, there was different music in there originally that we used from the, uh, from the MTV catalog, basically. Interesting. So there's like an, uh, there's like a, a first cut of that same, what we did on our summer vacation, but with that song in place of the other song. I'm wondering what the uh, how the releases went, but yeah, probably also in the VHS releases they're that way. See, now you've given me another reason to get back on eBay tonight and go find some of those old VHS tapes. See what I can dig up. Damn sure, it. some people have put them online elsewhere for free. That would be a better place to look, but I mean, I just like the thrill of an eBay auction, Michael. What the hell? Sure, consumerism is good for us it's good for dragon ball z it's good for this floundering economy that i'm sure the president will be able to fix (sighs) um all right so that's your favorite song used in the show is the song that was not used the stigma song stigmata song is that what you said yeah um a couple of the uh a couple of the Mark Mulcahy songs I've heard performed a few times since then when we've gotten together for reunions, and those are also a lot of fun. Pretty much Mark's songwriting from that time is is inseparable from Pete and Pete, and so you get that feeling when you hear it. I did see a reunion, I think you guys did in 2012, I want to say. Um, yeah, we, we've done a few over the years in different places. But he's like just there on the stage playing through as you guys do a script of uh, Goodbye Little Viking Part 2. Um, and you're so there doing were the one, narration. And there was one in, in San Francisco. There was one in downtown LA. There were one in New York, a couple in New York. So we've uh, done them in a couple of different places and been lucky enough to have Mark there for some of them. And then also his band went on tour, the Polaris band went on tour, and Mark has released a couple of solo records in that time as well. In addition to people doing a benefit 
uh, record for Mark after his uh, his wife passed away. Um, oh, I did not realize of, that. Yeah, people people doing uh, cover versions of his songs. Uh, a lot of different big recording artists. So he's um, he's kept pretty busy, and occasionally we've overlapped with him. When we did a reunion in Chicago, for example, it was with uh, with Polaris also playing, and I think Danny's band has played along with them too. Jounce. <laughs> yeah. What a weird name for a band, man. I hey, know what it single means, single but... syllables. What are you gonna do? Yeah, it's true. Good, 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 uh, good pick, Danny. I don't know what jounce means, but I know that I like to say it. Um, who would you say it was your favorite guest star to work with on the show? I know that you mentioned Juliana Hatfield. There seems to be like a billion and one musicians who have been on the show as you know these minor guest star roles once or twice. Uh, Iggy Pop had a recurring role as known as Father, um, but even I don't know. I just thought it was very interesting that there were so many musicians specifically in guest. Yeah, we roles. lucked out. We lucked out that way. Um, one of the uh, the original director and one of the main inspirations for the show, uh, Catherine Diekman, had uh, had been directing music videos and writing about music and stuff like that. So it was connected to. Uh, a number of musicians at that point who made appearances in the some of the earlier episodes. So musicians or, you know, celebrities aside, because you also had a guy like Steve Buscemi on set every once in a while. Uh-huh. Um, who would you say was your favorite uh, guest star to work with uh, throughout your time on Pete and Pete? That's tough. Um, there's a lot of good ones. Uh, sort of a, a one shot, I would say that, David Johansson was a lot of fun. Um, if, as a recurring character, probably Iggy was the coolest. Iggy Pop, yeah. I heard, uh, I don't know, just like reading through some Wikipedia articles and some YouTube videos the last week or so since we uh, first talked, I heard that he just liked to hang around on set and like try to shoot extra stuff because he just liked to be there. Is, is that true? I, uh, you couldn't blame him after he saw what was going on. He just enjoyed the final product so much and wanted to be involved and just like yeah, to be it was a, a fun. It. it was a fun way to make a TV show. I mean, I'm spoiled, but I had I had fun. Yeah, it seems like a pretty um, interesting approach to making television for back then. The more I've you know read about it in the last few weeks, um, seems pretty raw. And I think uh, with you know, the central focus being uh, more about characters and the story that they're trying to tell. It um, That's the thing that resonates with, you know, me, for sure, 25, 30 years later, um, as opposed to, like, what the production value looks like. I see the production value now, and I'm like, man, these guys were pretty ballsy to just kind of go out there and do it as raw as it was for back then. And um, I appreciate that they didn't focus on the wrong things. You know, they didn't focus on the production part of it. They focused on the story aspect. That's a um, that's a tough line to walk. Um, I think our restrictions didn't really become didn't really overpower the the story that drove what you saw on screen, and uh, we did whatever we could to have fun. I think. Maybe that's a better way to put it. The production limitations didn't overpower or overcome, you know, your ability to tell a good story. That's maybe shines through the most. 
Um, yeah, as opposed to most of the other shows being made um, in studios, uh, we were basically always on location doing a show, not in Florida, but in New York and New Jersey. Just shooting in random people's houses and parks and, you know, whatever. Sure, and wearing out our welcome over time each each season. Were the people of Orange, New Jersey all, all set with you guys by the end of three seasons? There, we we moved around each season, had a different house. Um, ah. Some some treats for you to you know watch back the different seasons and note the different houses. There so, are they were gray a lot. I'll give you that. So it was, it was about um, just having to move every season. Then it was like, all right, we've kind of you know overdone the TV production in this rural neighborhood. No, I, I just think you know we didn't. They didn't ever you know make a a multi-year deal with a, a neighborhood for something of uh for a project like this got it yeah that's probably something i wouldn't even think about so that makes sense um michael c morona you've been so generous with your time tonight i really appreciate you taking the time and getting back to me and doing super dope and this has been a blast um there is one final question that i do have to ask you we are, uh, what, like 65-ish days from the election. Um, you, I did not know um, until my friend Lance let me know, you had some firsthand experience with uh, President Bill Clinton uh, back in the late 90s. Um, one thing I didn't know about you, and it's probably because you were advertising for a service that wouldn't have been on my radar when I was 9 or 10 years old, but... Okay. You, were, you were Stuart in the Ameritrade commercials. Right, which was also a 90s thing, but maybe not what you were watching, you're, you're saying. Yeah, I, I, it was a 90s thing that I just, I guess, wasn't aware of because they weren't, they weren't advertising Ameritrade on Nickelodeon, go figure. Um, you, however, somehow, as the Stuart character from Ameritrade, made your way into this skit with Bill Clinton, basically um, the last few months of his presidency, uh, that he showed in his last public appearance of, of how he's, you know, been spending his downtime since the election. And, yeah, uh, they made a promotional video for uh, the White House Correspondents Dinner, I think it was, in the year 2000. What was it like? Because you guys, you, you the first time you, they see you in the skit, you're doing your Ameritrade thing of, um, you know, pressing your face against the copier and, you know, doing the um, Xerox copies of your face. But, like, by the end of it, you're getting ice cream sandwiches and riding bicycles with Bill Clinton. What was it like to hang out with him for the day or however long it took for you to shoot that? Uh, that was um, much more of a, uh, a different schedule than I was used to. And uh, I just flew in and out of uh, DC on the same day and uh, just shot a very, you know, very few, scenes in between um most of the time spent in the white house was waiting for the president to come from wherever they were to uh to where we were how does some how, did they did they contact you with the idea like hey we want to get this character you play in the commercial to come do this thing with the president like how does that uh, conversation yeah. start yeah it was it was uh they got a director of by the name of uh phil rosenthal who had was uh producer of everybody loves Raymond, which was a hot show at the time. And they just figured kind of figured they'd jam a few things together. Um, 
and so they made a a parody of my commercial with uh, Bill Clinton. And I mean, by the end of it, it's kind of a beautiful thing, man. Uh, the if you haven't seen it on YouTube, uh, Mister or Miss Listener, go check it out because it's pretty funny. But basically, Bill Clinton doesn't have anything to do. He manages to find himself a free ice cream sandwich in a vending machine downstairs. Uh, changes his whole entire day. And before you know it, he's hanging out with the intern and just having a blast. And by the end of the commercial, he's sharing uh, his secrets of happiness with the intern and giving him a free ice cream sandwich from the same vending machine. It's, it's, a, it's a work of art, man. It's beautiful. I had a good time with it. I'm kind of surprised I didn't know that it existed until a few days ago. But um, quick follow-up question. Did you get the impression that either Bill Clinton and or his wife were part of a child eating cabal at any point in that day you spent in Washington? Uh, no, but I don't think that I met uh, the missus either. Um, it turned out later on that my college roommate in that same semester um, worked on her campaign. Um, Did she have anything to say I went to school that. in New York. She was running for Senate in New York. And, uh, but the two, uh, sides never met. I don't think my roommate ever met him and I don't think I never met her. I weirdly did go to the town where they're from one time, uh, when I was on my way to see Hamilton, like four or five years ago, Chappaqua, New York. Is that right? I don't think that's where they're from, but where they live, or where yeah. they live, I should say, not where they're from, um, where they live. Uh, it was a weird, beautiful, quaint little town, but like the kind of town that you'd expect to see pop out of like the Gilmore Girls or something. Westchester County is uh, strange. It's next to New York. Yeah. Well, with um, that said, um, we now know that maybe Bill Clinton probably isn't going to eat children. Go vote. Um, six less than 70 days. Uh, let's not have this be the end of America because that is a very, very real possibility. Um, if you want to go see Michael C. Marona fight in trolls on Twitter, uh, where can they find you, Michael? Uh, it's at Michael C. Marona. That's the name I just said. Oh, very also, good. You can also check out uh, the adventures of Danny and Mike. That is uh, the podcast that he does with Danny Temporelli and their producer, Jeremy. That's uh, um, at Danny and Mike with the and spelled out. With the and spelled out. So, you know, what else would it have been? You know, would it have been like a plus? Would it have been like an underscore? Uh, obviously, the and has to be spelled out if you say the and, right? It's going to be uh, patreon.com slash Danny and Mike with the and spelled out, I think. That is the longest URL of all time. Danny and Mike with the and spelled out. It's a long one. But. I'm not sure if that one resolves. Um, thank you so much for taking the time. It was a blast to talk with you about Dragon Ball and some of this Pete and Pete stuff. Um, I sort of said it when you got back to me. Like, I was very overwhelmed, uh, listeners, when Mike got back because I was like, oh, shit. I've definitely tweeted at him about doing Dragon Ball pods and Pete and Pete pods. Which one? Why not both? Oh my God, which one am I going to angle for? So we went with Dragon Ball today, but hopefully you'd be open to talking a little bit more about Pete and Pete stuff. Should I ever get around to making a project about that? Thanks, Kyle. Take that as a maybe. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time, Michael. And uh, that's going to be the end of it. Make sure you rate and subscribe to Dragon Ball Super Dope. If this is your first time checking it out because you wanted to um, you know, hear my conversation with Michael, thank you for taking the time. 
Uh, rate and subscribe. Uh, ratings on Apple Podcasts are worth their weight in gold and are much appreciated. So I'll end it like this. Michael C. Morona on the show. I did it. Cool, man. I, pre- I appreciate it, Tom. Thanks for having me, man. <laughs>